Hi, this is Jim Martin, and this is my encouragement note number 72. The list of five. First, what you might become. Well, I was a young husband, a father, and a discouraged minister. I felt insecure and inadequate in a variety of ways. And about this same time, I stumbled upon the following story. There was once a sculptor who worked hard with hammer and chisel on a large block of marble. A little child who was watching him saw nothing more than large and small pieces of stone falling away left and right. He had no idea what was happening. But when the boy returned to the studio a few weeks later, he saw, to his surprise, a large, powerful lion sitting in the place where the marble had stood. With great excitement, the boy ran to the sculptor and said, Sir, tell me, how did you know there was a lion in that marble? This comes from a book by Henry Nowen. The book is Clowning in Rome. Well, at first, this boy only saw a block of marble. Later, he saw a lion. And there is a sense in which you and I are pieces of marble that God is working on. He is carving and shaping so that we might become what we never imagined. And it could be that as you and I look in the mirror today, we might only see marble. And yet one day, we might see a lion. Our lives are more significant than we might think. Consequently, beware of giving up on your personal transformation into the image of Jesus. Do you look in the mirror, see who you are, and say, well, that's just the way I am? Or do you slump into your recliner, shrug your shoulders, and passively settle? Or do you ask God to shape you into the kind of husband or wife or father or mother that he desires you to be? Beware of seeing life as basically a human potential project. Rather, it's based on the transformative work of God and what He desires for us to be. As you and I yield to Him, He forms and shapes us into the kind of people we could not be without Him. And then beware of viewing life as primarily a self-improvement project. With God at work and the power of the Holy Spirit within you and me, this is the opportunity for transformation. You are a work in progress, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Our lives are based on our willingness to yield to the one who molds and shapes us into becoming a lion for him. Who knows what we will become as God continues to transform us for his honor. 2023 is not just another year for self-improvement. This is a year to see in your life the transformative work of God. You can become a more Christ-like man or woman, husband or wife, father or mother. Next, what kind of friend are you? I love this quote by Anne Lamott. A good marriage is one in which each spouse secretly thinks he or she got the better deal. And this is also true of our friendships. 
There's a lot of truth here. Whether in marriage or friendship, our relationships are blessed when we each think we got the better deal. Consider your friendships. Do you take the initiative with friends? Some friendships seem to be one way. That is, one friend typically takes the initiative while the other person typically receives. For example, do you call your friends or do they typically call you? Do you depend upon them to call you and then complain at times because you rarely hear from them? Do you call your friends at times other than when you need them to listen to you vent or to help you work through a problem? And do you ask your friends questions about their lives and work? Or do you find yourself talking on and on about your life, your problems, your vacation, while you ask few, if any, questions about your friends' lives? And do you take the initiative to plan a time to get together? Or is this typically another's initiative? Suppose you were to make a list of 10 people whom you count as friends. What if you were to begin the new year by texting each person simply telling them how much you appreciate them and how you value their friendship. What if you called one of these people on the telephone, particularly someone with whom you rarely talk? And number three, when you feel silly. At times, you may not be at your best. A few years ago, I was I met one of our Harding School of Theology students at an area Chinese restaurant. John would graduate in a few weeks and then move from Memphis to another part of the country where he would serve a congregation as its minister. We sat out in a booth and I looked at the menu. I quickly decided to order sesame chicken. The waiter turned to me and for some reason, I told him I wanted almond chicken. And a few minutes later, the waiter brought our food. I looked at the plate and I said, well, this is, this is almond chicken, isn't it? He said, yes, uh, that's what you, you ordered. And then I said, uh, you know, I really wanted cashew chicken. Well, as soon as I said this, I knew that I still wasn't getting it right. Ten minutes earlier, I had decided to order sesame chicken. Then I mistakenly ordered almond chicken, and now I mistakenly again or told him I wanted cashew chicken. I couldn't believe what I just said. I'm so sorry. All along I wanted sesame chicken, and I know I said almond chicken earlier and then cashew chicken just now, but what I really want is sesame chicken. Well, this waiter was very patient and gracious. No problem at all. I will take this almond chicken back and bring you sesame chicken. Well, I had never changed what I intended to order. And yet my words did not reflect this. The right words were not coming out of my mouth. I felt a little silly and embarrassed. And yet I know that most of us have similar moments. Regardless of our intentions, we have difficulty getting it right. Here's what helps me on days like this. First, I don't have to take myself so seriously. In fact, it often helps if I can laugh at myself. And then when I make a mistake, I can put others 
at ease with a smile instead of cringing or getting tense because I made a silly blunder. I can remember that my mistakes do not define me or reflect my worth before the Lord. And then I don't have to have a perfect day in order to have a significant day. Very few of us are 100% during each moment of the day, and I can still live a significant life on an imperfect day. And then, how much memory is enough? This is especially for ministers and church leaders. Margaret Markison wrote an article entitled, How Much Memory is Enough? She wrote this in her newsletter. Let me read the following. Without sufficient memory, we are lost. With too much, we are captive, she writes. And she found this quote from John Meacham in a file. And she said, I remember when I first read it, I immediately thought of church. Memory and how we use it matters for church life. Even if churches forget the past, it still affects their life together and they can trip over the unrecognized boulders. They don't talk about the failures, the fights, the flawed leaders. Those secrets lie underground, sapping energy. Likewise, churches also forget the strengths, successes of the past, which can help them forge the future. They aren't in touch with the natural abilities they have, past ministries that might hint at future possibilities. Not to recreate, but to inspire creativity. Instead, they frantically look around to see what other churches are doing that they can imitate. And they get lost in pretending to be something they're not. I think she makes a great point here. Because a church can have too little memory. And sometimes we may forget. We can forget to deal with lingering problems, allowing them to continue and fester. We can forget to address the ongoing misbehavior of a church leader. Far too many people have avoided this by saying, well, let's just let it work itself out. Avoidance is usually not the answer. And then we can forget to deal with the undependable Bible class teacher. Week after week, children are in her classroom by themselves waiting on this chronically late teacher, sometimes 10 to 15 minutes late, and yet no one holds her accountable. Her sister-in-law is married to one of the elders in this church. And sometimes a minister can forget that God has been working through the congregation long before the minister arrived, and God will be working through the congregation long after this minister leaves. Yet, maybe at times a church can have too much memory. A teenager in the church is involved in reckless behavior. This young person grows up, has a great family and a good job, and yet 25 years later, when someone suggests that he serve as as the church treasurer, several bring up this incident of teenage reckless behavior. And then a mission team that is supported by the congregation comes apart. Their accusations, bitter words, and the team returns to the USA. A decade later, other missionaries supported by the congregation feel as if they are treated with suspicion and distrust, even though the incident with the mission team took place many years 
earlier. It's true that we can have too little memory or too much memory. Yet we do have a memory that will sustain our faith. We need such a memory. In the Lord's Supper and baptism, we remember. When we read scripture, we remember. We might also remember the following. We might remember to express appreciation to those who serve our churches. If your preacher is working hard, serving faithfully, praying daily, and loving the people well, you've got a real jewel. Don't take such a person for granted. And then we might remember the stories of Scripture which can sustain us in our faith. One of the most important disciplines for any minister, actually any Christian, is to simply read the Bible looking for what God wants us to hear and obey. I want to encourage you to look on the uh, written portion on the text of the encouragement note. You can see the listening and reading resources. You might enjoy one or more of those. I hope you have a great week.